we made a little trip up to the college and uh, had a, a great opportunity to sit down and, and talk together. And so he's also a neighbor. He lives about three, three or four miles away. And so uh, just give him your undivided attention this morning and allow the Spirit to work in your life as he brings us the word this morning. Thank you. Thank you, sir. When I walked up to the, uh, the front there, I, he, entered, he shook my hand and, and I, I don't have my contact in. I usually wear a contact and so I wasn't seeing too well and I said, are you Blake? And he said, no, I'm Randy. And he said, I met you. And I said, oh yeah, okay. You know, Because I can't see without my contact and uh, I've had one contact in for several years. I call it monovision. And about three weeks ago, I developed an ulcer in my cornea. Two ulcers, actually. And so I haven't been wearing my contact since then. And then after the cornea, the ulcer healed. I was out hunting, and I poked my eyeball. And I had a bloody eyeball for a week and a half. And then last Thursday, I dislocated my hip. So I'm limping, and I'm on some medication, and I can't really see. But I'm excited to be here. And so when Brother Johnson called and said, hey, uh, I, you know, I've got COVID and, and uh, wondering if you could preach or get someone else to preach, some of the faculty members, and, and uh, I said, well, I'd like to do it. And, uh, but that was odd for me to say that, but I haven't preached in several weeks because of the, the ulcer and all that. And, and I was just going back in my notes, and the last time I was here, we visited. We were on a stay-at-home vacation, came by on a Wednesday night. But prior to that, it was back when you all had a Valentine's banquet, I think over here, David Bosworth, who I think was your youth pastor. So that's quite a good number of years ago, 15 years ago, 18 years ago, uh, way back. And I spoke at that Valentine's banquet. So I'm glad to be here. So is Brother Eric watching by live stream? Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you, Brother Eric, for letting me, whatever camera you're watching through. <laughs> Can't figure these, that one, that one, it's green. So hope you get to film better. And uh, COVID-19. Well, what do you think I'm going to preach on? COVID-19. Uh, the moment that he told me that uh, he had COVID, I really knew what I was to preach. Had a buddy of mine, a pastor friend, call several months ago, and he says, of course, my last name is Copes, C-O-P-E-S. And uh, my buddy called me, and he says, well, Brother Copes, how you coping with COVID? And I said, man, I like that, coping with COVID. And at, at the college, it's been a, a disaster. It's just been insane the things you have to think about, especially, you know, when the mad scientist, Anthony Fauci, uh, put everything into a hole upside down and, you know, started just doing all of that. It just was crazy. And so we've just been coping with it. That's all we've been doing. But, you know, within the Bible, there's actually a very good passage for us to look at that during some crazy times, when people are doing some I mean, if you just think of in Portland, in Seattle, and even in Oklahoma City, if you just think about what, what happens from time to time, and, and really just the cities, it's amazing. Well, what are we supposed to do when a pandemic is raging and when the political part and the leadership of the country is it's just turned upside down? What are we supposed to do? Well, we got to cope with it. How do you cope with all that. Well, with that in mind, turn to Titus. We're going to look at the book of Titus. Again, I'm thankful for the friendship that I'm just starting with Brother Johnson, looking forward to even more of that. So I want to talk to you this morning about how copes, copes 
with the COVID. <laughs> if you look at Titus chapter 1, basically we've got this wonderful letter. I'm going to be putting my readers on from time to time. And, and uh, so if I stumble and fall down, just laugh at it because it may happen if I put these readers on and I start to walk around. And it's okay if you laugh at me falling. Hey, I might throw my hip back into, into joint bit in better shape. I don't know. But if you can just picture in Titus, here's the older preacher, Paul, writing a letter to the younger preacher. The older preacher basically left this church in Crete in the hands of a younger preacher. And the people in Crete were some pretty bad people. They were wild. They did anything they wanted to do that made them feel good. Can you just kind of think on that? And I don't have to get into some details. That's what it was like in Crete. It was crazy. They were doing it in the streets all the time. But some people got saved. Some people accepted Christ as their Savior. And they started to change their ways. They started to come out of the Crete world. And they started to get into the Word. But even while that was happening, there were some problems within that group of believers or in the Crete place, the, the city, there started to develop some false teaching. Like the germs of a COVID virus are to the physical body, false teaching is the same thing to the body of Christ. It will ruin a group of people. A, a germ could put you into a COVID state. And the germs within the, the body of Christ, false teaching can do a lot of damage. And the older preacher, Paul, is trying to help the younger preacher, and he says, this is how you've got to deal with this, because you've got people living wild in Crete, and then you've got some people who claim to be Christians who are false teachers. That will mess up a society. Can I get an amen on that? Now just picture that, and then in chapter 1, here's Paul, and he's very affectionate. He loves this young man. He loves... To, to, just to really to invest in him, and he's trying to help Titus. And so basically, he talks to him in chapter 1, right through about verse 9, about the office of a bishop. He just basically covers that, talks about him being blameless. It's just right there, lover of hospitality in verse 8, holding verse 9 fast, the faithful word. And then when he gets down to verse 10, through basically verse 16, he talks about the false teacher's and he says they're unruly. Look at verse 10. Vain talkers and deceivers. And look at what he says, verse 12. One of themselves, and he even says this, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Christians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This is what they even said about themselves. These are some pretty wild people that these Christians were in amongst. Are you starting to see some parallel to where we live today? There's some wild stuff going all over this country. You don't have to watch the news but one session, and you can see it happening. The same thing was happening back then. Now watch this. So he talks about it there in verses 11 through 16 about the false teaching, and then he goes into verse 2. Now this morning... I want to try to help everybody in here, uh, from, from my daughter to everyone, every, the young people here, the older people. The, I want to try to help everybody. I don't know you well, but I know that the Scripture knows what you need. Can I get an amen on that? 
I'll leave here in about 35 minutes knowing I've preached exactly what God wanted me to preach. But I want to try to help all of you. And I don't even know you. That's quite a task. The, the younger and the older, the male and the female. But, but watch this. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Look at the group that's mentioned in verse 2. The aged men. The aged men. The old guys. The old geezers. Like me. Not you. But like you. <laughs> and you. <laughs> you know, 40 and above. The aged men. So this actually mentions the aged men. L look at verse 3. The aged women. I'm not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole. I'm not going to mention anything about what age limit that falls into. That's up to you. <laughs> so we've got the, we're going to be talking to the aged men and the aged women. I, I want to try to help everybody. Now watch this. Look at verse 4. The young women. That's good. So now we've got a third group. Look at verse 6. The young men. So now we've got the aged men, the aged women, the young men, and the young women, all within this passage, all with Paul trying to help the younger preacher about how to help all of them while they live in a crazy situation where people were doing anything they wanted to in the streets, having any type of party they wanted to. That's what the people in Crete were doing. While all around them in what we would call maybe church houses, there's false teaching going on all over the place. More than likely, some of these that were in this local church even started to, at this time, I could go back and tell you with a little bit of study, they've already started, some of them already started sliding back. We call it backsliding. When someone leaves what they were doing as an unsaved person, starts to live a godly life, and then when he or she starts to live a little bit like what they used to live, we call it what? Backsliding. Look at, look at verse 2 again. That the aged men, the next two words, he says this, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, Sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part be, excuse me, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. So we've got four groups. I'm a teacher, so I'm going to be repetitive. Repetition's a good teacher. We've got four groups. They are what? The aged what? Men. Then the aged women. Then we have the young women. And then we have the young what? And then there's a list. You just read it right along with me. A list of all the things that each of those groups are to do. Does any of you students see a similarity, a common point 
that the Apostle Paul addresses to Titus that all four of these groups ought to be working on, ought to live. If you, if you read it, or if I gave you time to do it, and if you were not hesitant to answer the question publicly in class, <laughs> I know how that is, you'll find this, sober, soberness. Now, don't make the mistake and think that soberness just means every time that we use the word sober that it means, well, you're not intoxicated. That's actually a very new meaning to the word sober. Sober at its root, its, its original meaning would mean this, to live a life not based upon emotions and passions, but to live a life that's under control and with purpose. So Paul is saying, you older men ought to live a life soberly. And he even mentions it here based upon sound doctrine. The older women ought to live a life soberly. The young men ought to live a life soberly. And the young women as well. But the young men just can't learn it from anybody, can they? They have to learn it from, well, Hollywood. Wrong answer. Fox News, wrong answer. CNN, <laughs> wrong news. Politicians, oh man. The young men learn it from the older men. And the younger women learn it from the older women. See, this whole group right here has a whole lot to do even in the middle of a pandemic. You older women are to be teaching. And I say, I didn't sign up for that. It's in the scripture. If you're aged, you're mentioned here. If you're female, you're mentioned here. If you're a male, you're mentioned here. This isn't me putting this task upon you. It's God saying the aged are to teach the younger. If Cornerstone Baptist Church wants to see Cornerstone Baptist Church doing what she's doing today and 20 years from now, she better be teaching the younger. Every young person that comes into this church ought to look around and say, so this is how you do church. So this is how you sing a hymn. So this is how you lead singing. This is how you play the, the, the piano, the, play the organ, whatever it might be. This is how you do it. This is how you're faithful to church. The, the younger kids ought to be able to come here and say, so he's here, that aged man, he's here on Sunday morning and and weather permitting, he's here on Sunday night. They have to see that. The younger women are not going to learn how to love their husbands and raise their children through anything that they're going to get through the public school system. Not at all. If you think that there's an agenda there, it's there. It's, it used to be hidden in the 60s. It's not hidden anymore. None at all. And, 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 and in communities all over, like, like Moore and Norman and Oklahoma City and Tuttle and Blanchard, there's, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. Did you ever think when marijuana got a... Did you ever think it would ever get a, approved in Oklahoma? Well, it was 84 different, different permits were, were filled out within 24 hours to open up dispensaries. It's been more than that now. Man, it's crazy. You know, you're in this category. I mean, look at what you're supposed to do. 
Look at verse 2. The aged men be sober. Let's back up for a moment. Look at verse 1. But speak thou the things which become, what? Sound doctrine. And then look at all the lists that follows. To be sober. I, I know that there's a lot of other things mentioned here. Grave, temperance, sound in faith and charity and patience. But I got to be honest with you, I can't cover all those with you. But I know this. When God repeats soberness to each one of us, to, to this young couple and to that couple, that means this, it's pretty important. It's like when you type an email and you say bold or underline it, God just repeats it. Soberness. Because a lot of people today and in the church today don't live soberly. They live a life based upon passions and emotions and not based upon sound doctrine. A lot of times, my observation, looking at scripture, making application, that's why a lot of people are in and out of churches all the time. Because they're not living a life based upon what? Sound doctrine. Soberness. They're living it upon emotions and passions. Now, I don't have any clue, any clue, any idea that any of that is happening here. But I'll say this. I bet it has. How do you know that? Because you're people. <laughs> you're human beings. We're no different than this local church that this letter is written to. I'm no different. What keeps you soberness? What keeps you based upon sound doctrine? The Word of God. The Word of God. And if you're an aged woman, likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Holiness. And, and then it says... Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. The aged women are to teach the younger women all of those things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Man, in this day and age, in this society, even within churches, the younger women need to learn from the older women how to love their families and take care of their families. Yeah. I, I don't mean to stir anybody, but if the younger women think that they're going to find sound living and soberness trying to achieve to be, and I'm not trying to get you to laugh, but trying to achieve to be like a Nancy Pelosi, a very high political leader. I mean, if... if if, if the president and the vice president were both tragically killed, do you know who would be the president of the United States? The Speaker of the House. That's pretty powerful. And if our young women in our churches think that that is going to be this, no, they have to learn differently. Yeah. I, my, my daughter's here. My wife is in Florida taking care of her mother. Her mother is very ill we thought we were going to lose her about three, four weeks ago. She's taking care of her. But my daughter, just application, not to pick on her or to spoil her, I want her to learn everything from my wife. Yeah. 
if you're, if you're an older lady, and, and even though you might not be what you would say old, but you have somebody younger than you watching you. You're how old? 20. So you're not an older lady. But there's a young girl somewhere running around this church, somewhere, that's going to look to you. You're a young mama, right? How old are you? Well, I shouldn't have, don't ask that. <laughs> 25, something like that. There's young, there's young mamas that are younger than you. They're going to look, dads, same thing. Yeah. And they should see you being sober and sound in doctrine. Now watch this. I'm going to make application here very, very quickly and, and then we'll literally be, we'll be done. Watch this now. So that's what was happening there in Crete back in this time. And again, I'm being repetitive on purpose. Here's the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the, to the young preacher, Titus, and he's saying, this is what you've got to teach those people. Now, Paul didn't mention it because he thought that this was happening. He knew he spent this letter to his, really to his, his young preacher boy. And he's saying, this is where everybody's struggling. And you might say, well, that's, that's written to Titus. I, I, I want to acknowledge this. This was not written to you and I, but it was written to Titus. But it's preserved for who? You and I. There's no error. There's no mistake. This is the preserved without any mistake word of God for us as a New Testament church, as New Testament believers. This is how we should look. This is what we should look to to find out how to handle things. And the pandemic, in my mind, is a lot like what was happening in Crete. People doing anything they want to do. And a lot of people within the churches even living a life based upon a lot of passion and emotions. I, I, I co-teach a Sunday school class at Southwest Baptist Church, some lovely people, adult people like my age, not so young. <laughs> and, and, and I have to be honest with you, much of my time since March has been just trying to help people calm down. Now, I'm not against the, the, the precautions and all that. We, we practice it at the college. We practice it amongst ourselves. But, man, just helping people just kind of sober down. You know, it's, it's there. It's for us. But if you're here this morning and if you're thinking, but this was written back then. Now, watch this. I want you to pick up with me. Verse 10, exhort servants. Now, so that would be employees. And he says this, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well, not answering again. So Paul is saying this to Timothy. Not only do I want you to teach the aged men and the aged women and the young men and the young women how to live soberly, I want you to tell your people that they are to be very good workers. And he even says it right here in that verse. He says, not answering again. I would presume that everybody in here is a pretty good worker at their place of employment. I would imagine that's the case. But not only are we supposed to be pretty good workers, because honestly, when I worked in the secular field, I worked at Kennedy Space Center before I was called, there's a lot of good workers. There's a lot of men and women who have a 
a good work ethic. Their dad raised them that way, many of them. But look at what he adds to this. He says, not answering them again. We should not be those type of workers who talk back disrespectfully to our boss. That's what's going to make you different at your workplace, not answering them again. There's a lot of good workers at your employment. I would imagine that you're not amongst nobody, amongst a bunch of people that are lazy or they'd be fired. But the scripture tells us not to be answering him back disrespectfully. So there's application here, but I want to go on. I'm doing this on purpose. Look at verse 10. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. I'm going to insert this word. Why? Here it is. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. See, we are to live a life soberly. We are to teach those that are younger than us to live soberly. And then we are to work at, a, at, a, at, a, at whatever the place may be. Some of you work in some places that you probably have to listen to some stuff that you don't even want to think about right now. Even things you're exposed to. But we are to be living in a way that's just been described so that literally, I mean, you can see right there in the scripture, I need to put my glasses on again, adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Do you realize that the way that you and I live soberly and work, we are adorning the doctrine, the glory of God. It hangs upon us. You get to bring sound doctrine. You get to bring soberness into a wild and crazy workplace. You get to bring godliness adorning on you if you're living soberly. But if you're living a life based upon passions and emotions, and if you're not living a life with godliness, then that's what you're adorning on yourself. But if you live like like Titus is going to go and teach his own people to do, you're going to have the gloriness of God adorning, meaning this, hanging on you in your life. Your neighbors are going to look at you and say, you guys are different. This is a snowstorm. This is a blizzard. This is a natural disaster. What are you doing? Going to church. Your neighbors will be pretty impressed while they're driving off to Walmart. <laughs> And at work. And let's be really pointed. Even your own family. Even within my family. There's some. That are Christians. They're living a life based upon. Crazy emotions and passions. Where some of my family goes to church right now. They were raised in the same home I was raised in. You walk into their services. It's just all. Built up hype emotion. There's no doctrine in there at all. That's a shame. And their, and their life now shows it. They're kind of just with any whim. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly what's happening in the scheme of what Satan is up to and what God is bringing about. I don't know this, but I know this. It almost seems like Satan is trying to cut off pieces of the body of Christ by keeping the body from assembling. It's almost like if you want to be a good citizen, 
You can't assemble as a body. When something gets assembled like a bicycle, something comes together and then something gets accomplished. When we are in Hebrews 10.25 told to assemble, we are, to, we are told to assemble, to exhort one another as the day approaches. And if you think the pandemic doesn't remind, excuse me, you should be thinking when you think of a pandemic, you should be thinking of future plagues. We are, we are no longer just wondering when is all of these prophetic events. Folks, I don't know the dates. I know this. It seems to me that we're in the shadows of the last times. You say, well, that's kind of crazy. It's pretty exciting. It'd be pretty, this is a very good time to be a born-again Christian. This is a very settling time to know that you are going to heaven. It's an awesome time. And you can adorn that upon you. You can do it here at the church. You can do it at work, and you can do it in your families. But notice this, and I want to make application here very, very quickly. Look at what it says, verse 11, chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, what's that next word? Soberly. It's here again. There's a common thread that this church needs to be reminded of in Crete. Live soberly. And when I look at the way that the Crete people were living, just a Bible study could show you this. It is almost like they were just doing anything they wanted to do in the streets, like in Seattle, like in Portland. Now, please, if you think that that can't happen just anywhere, it can happen anywhere once people start to live any way they want and if you think people aren't starting to live any way they want in Oklahoma City Metro I'm going to disagree with you it's starting to happen live soberly look at verse 12 should live soberly righteously and godly and watch this now in this do you see the end of the verse present world I acknowledge this wasn't written to us and this was not written yesterday it was written to Titus and it was written a long time ago and it's been preserved and inspired by God Almighty and right there in this verse he says in this present world how do you cope with the COVID well we live a life based upon sound doctrine, one of the main ingredients to that during a time like this is to be sober and to teach the others. Every man in this church has a job to teach the younger men how to live a life based upon soberness and sound doctrine. Every female in this church has a job to do to teach the younger how to live soberly based upon sound doctrine. How do you do all that? How do you do all that when you got everything happening with the election and all of that that's going on? How do you do that? How do you do that with, and I have no clue, but how do you do that with, with all the dynamics that can happen in just a, 
a local church? How do you do that? How do you do that when your family is growing? How do you do that when you're aging? How do you do that when you're, when you're getting sick? How do you do that when you're having struggles with your family? How do you do that when you're having struggles in your marriage? How do you do that when you're about to get laid off? How do you do that when you've been laid off? How do you do all that? How do you do that when, when Joe Biden's going to be our next president? Man, how do you do that? How do you just wake up and smile every day and be, and be sober? How do you do that? How do you do that? It's right here. Look at this. Verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. You know what peculiar means? Different. Set aside. A little bit odd. Peculiar people. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Even amongst this crazy time, we are to be zealous with good works. We are to be, at times like this, people who are doing good deeds in a zealous way based upon sound doctrine. If I can just word this to you very, very quickly. Let's not, and, and I have to fight this myself, let's not get mad at all the crazy stuff and all the people that are doing all the crazy stuff. What should we expect from lost people who are living lives, lives based upon passion and emotion? Those people that are taking over cities and, and buildings and that are protesting police stations last night, that's very passionate to them. They're zealous about that. They're living a life with no soberness. You, you, you know the stories. If someone has a knife in his hand and attacks police, what are police supposed to do? They're trained to do one thing, to eliminate that threat for the sake of the community. But they're protesting that. There's protesting happening all over the country. It's, it's not sober. It's not clear thinking. Let's not get mad at them. I'm speaking to myself because they're just like the people in Crete. And Paul said this, do good works to them. Live a life of soberness based upon sound doctrine. How do you do that? You got to remember, you got to look not at what's happening on the sidelines, but where you're heading. Listen, if you die tomorrow and if you're a born-again Christian, I didn't say if you're a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church. I said if you're a born-again Christian, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that means you came to a place in your life that you said, I'm a sinner and my sin has damned me to hell and I need the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ to wash me clean so that I can have his righteousness. And so by faith, I'm going to trust him as my Lord and Savior, knowing that by trusting in him in faith that I will then have my way to heaven through him. That's what I mean when I say you've been born again. You're saved. 
And if you're saved, you can look forward to not living here for the rest of your life, but after this earthly life is over, you can look forward to eternity with Jesus Christ and God in paradise, in heaven. But if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you're here this morning and you're counting on church membership. Maybe you're counting on the time that you got baptized uh, 16 years ago and you think that got you right with God. Well, God would say, no, that, that didn't do that. If you shun, God would say this, if you shun my son, I will turn my back on you one day. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or if you're trying to get to heaven another way, I'm sorry. There is no other way to heaven but through the Son of God. Amen? You might say, but preacher, I'm already a member of this church. I've, I, my parents were here, and I was born here. I mean, I, was, I came all the way from the nursery. You might even say, I was a drug baby, meaning your parents drug you to church all the time. <laughs> That, that won't get you to heaven either. Yep. So if, you're trust, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ your Savior, nothing else, no act, no good works, no church membership, no amount of a tithe check, if you're trusting just in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you have to look forward to this. You're going to be with him. And I have to be honest with you. I think he's coming back soon. I mean, how many, of you, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ can come back any day now? That's pitiful. Like three of you. Let's do it again. This is a Baptist church. How many of you believe, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ can come back any day now? Shout amen. That was like, yeah, kind of, kind of. I mean, you, you said this by lifting your left hand and by shouting amen. You said theologically, meaning you believe in your mind that you agree with the doctrine of the return of Jesus Christ. That's what you said you believed. You said it. I know I pushed your Baptist button, but I'm a Baptist preacher. I like amens. You said you believe it. That's called theology. In the doctrine of Jesus Christ's second return. How many of you that said it, we won't do it, but really deep down inside in your private own heart, you would say, yeah, I believe it. Amen, Brother Copes. Amen. But how many of you would be able to lift up the other hand and say, and my lifestyle agrees with my theology? Because if you really believe, if I really believe he's coming back any day now, my lifestyle I ought to lift up this hand with this hand already up and say my lifestyle matches my theology and my theology matches my lifestyle. Look at me. With both hands raised up, this is a universal symbol for what? Surrender. Yeah. You can believe it all you want. You can know all the stuff you want. You can have it all memorized. You can have all the degrees from a Bible college. I'm a Bible college man, and I'm getting sarcastic about degrees. You can have all of that. 
But if your lifestyle doesn't match what you believe, then it really hasn't made a difference in your life. And when he returns, yep, we'd call it the rapture if you would. I have no problem with that. But as soon as all that's done, there's going to be a reckoning. Reckoning. You know when you reconcile your bank account? The younger people don't know, don't know about that because they have apps that do it. But the older people know. You know how you reconcile your bank account? All your pluses and minuses? Yeah. Well, Jesus is going to reckon with everything you have done. You might say, well, I've done a whole bunch, Brother Copes. Yeah, but Jesus is going to look deep down inside with only the discernment that Jesus has. And he's going to know why you did it. And anything that you've done, even though you've done a bunch of stuff, if you did it for this or an attaboy, and I'm not against applauding, I'm not against saying good job, but if you did it for that reason, then that will burn up because you didn't do it for the right reason. You, if, if you do service for God for this, not saying if you get applauded, but if you do it for this, then you more than likely just got your reward. But if you do it for his glory, so that he can be glorified by others, then he'll look at all of that stuff and he'll reward you for it. I don't know where this, this isn't in my notes. As a matter of fact, much of what I've been preaching this morning, it really isn't even in my notes. It's been much what the Spirit would have me to say based upon the Scripture. But if you're here this morning and you're just mounting up a whole bunch of works, I mean, you've got a mountain of works. But if you're doing those things for the wrong reason, it's going to burn up. It's going to be like, hey. Yeah. Maybe this morning, I'm just supposed to come in as a guest preacher. I'm out of here pretty soon. I hope you don't get mad at me, but hey, I'm leaving. <laughs> I don't want anybody mad at me. But I wonder if maybe that's one of the side reasons. Yeah. The illustration about what you believe in your lifestyle isn't even in my notes and in the margin of my Bible. What you believe and the way you live are supposed to be the same. That's how you teach the younger. And younger, all you younger folks, don't go to Google to learn everything. Don't go to Hollywood to learn everything. Don't go to Netflix to learn it. Don't go to a blog to learn everything. Go to some people that are here that have lived a life of godliness and learn from them. And I say, well, he, he doesn't look too successful to me. I mean, he, he, he's, he just doesn't look successful. You might be surprised. Because in the Bible, successful can be defined this way, faithful. Meaning faithful that God gave him this, and he was faithful with that. You know, he, he didn't make a lot of money. I don't find that God really determines how successful we are depending upon how much money we've made. You got to be faithful with what God has given you. Yeah. We're going to have just a, an invitation. Just going to stand. The Spirit of the Lord's been speaking to you. I'm going to I'm going to be quiet here in a moment. I'm going to have a word of prayer. 
and then we're just going to take some time right now. And the Spirit of the Lord has been speaking to you. I, I, I have to be honest with you. I used to be timid about the invitation. Uh, about two years ago, I stopped. Because I just found this. If the Spirit of the Lord has been speaking to people, to you as an individual, it's insane for you not to speak back to him. We would say this, if I called your name out, hey, Steve, and you didn't respond, I'd say this, why are you being rude? If God's been speaking to you, why don't you speak to him today? If you can bend your knee, why don't you bend your knee? One day, you may not have the ability physically to bend your knee, and you more than likely will be saying, Man, I wish I could get down and just pray right now. If God's been speaking to you, why don't you speak back to him? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We're just going to take now, dear God, a time where I'll be quiet, I'll be silenced. Your musicians will play. Someone will lead us in a song. But Lord, would you speak very loudly and clearly to all of us this afternoon during this time of invitation? Lord, may you be pleased.